The federal inquiry into the government's use of the Emergencies Act dug a little further into the actions of Ottawa police. What intelligence was, be- intelligence was being gathered today uh, to respond to the so-called Freedom Convoy. Uh, but alongside testimony from more than 60 witnesses, um, they are also looking into thousands of documents that paint a clearer picture of what the government knew and didn't know in the days leading up to inv- invoking uh, the Emergencies Act for the first time since it became law back in 1988. And one of those documents is minutes from a meeting held on February 6th. So that's more than a week before the Emergencies Act was declared, and certainly quite a while after the convoy, the blockades had begun. And it's with top-ranking officials from municipal, provincial, and federal governments, including the head of the Canadian Security and Intelligence Agency, CSIS. CSIS's director, according to the minutes, David Vigneault, spoke of the so-called hardened elements who will likely use violence that were involved in the protests on Parliament Hill and elsewhere, including in Alberta. However, they said, or he said, they are not actively participating or organizing in it and are likely to use this as a recruiting ground. So that was one of their first concerns, that hardened groups were going to use these protests as a recruiting ground to try to bring people into their organizations. Here's the big one. Given all the speculation and talk around this issue at the time, He also told officials, and don't forget, this is February the 6th, that the agency had found no evidence, no evidence of foreign actors or states financing the convoy protests. No evidence. Remember, the specter of foreign funding had been raised quite a bit by the federal government before and after the Emergencies Act was was enacted, including this from Emergency Preparedness Minister Bill Blair, a former police chief, needless to say, who said this to reporters gathered at the National Press Gallery, which is kind of where you go when you want to tell reporters and the rest of the country everything. Um, Here's what he had to say on February 16th. It was the intention of those who blockaded our ports of entry in a largely foreign-funded targeted and coordinated attack, which was clearly and criminally intended to harm Canada, to harm Canadians, to interrupt vital supply lines, to idle our workers and close our factories. All right. So that was Bill Blair on February the 16th. And yet it seems that on February the 6th, 10 days earlier, the head of CSIS, this isn't someone who jumped in off the street to talk about this, the head of CSIS had told government officials, that they had found no evidence that the protest convoy was receiving or at least significant foreign funding. So either they know something we don't and we haven't heard it yet. Maybe we will. Who knows? We'll find out. This inquiry continues. Uh, But for the time being, was there really no foreign money pouring in? And if there wasn't, according to CSIS, why was the federal government still talking about it days later? Well, joining me now to answer that is Phil Gursky. He's president and CEO of Borealis Threat and Threat and Risk Consulting. He's also a former senior strategic analyst with CSIS. Phil Gursky, thanks for your time. My pleasure, Ben. Anything stand out to you so far? Just uh, we're hearing some of the intelligence the government had at hand, uh, even uh, quite a ways into the convoy protest, the blockade. Uh, what have you made of it so far? Well, what I find interesting is that the intelligence that has been made public. And and you and I both know there's a lot of intelligence that will not be made public for various reasons. One, it could be come from a very sensitive source, and you don't want your sensitive sources to be disclosed in a public forum like the inquiry, is that the intelligence seemed to have been bang on. And I I recall at the time, Ben, uh, in the, you know, the aftermath of the Declaration of the Emergencies Act in February, that some people called us an intelligence failure. And I'm thinking, but no, CSIS kind of told you what they knew, and it was pretty accurate. So, I think that the intelligence agencies did the job that they're doing. So just to remind your listeners, 
CSIS is a security intelligence service and its mandate is to investigate, collect information, and advise the government on what it knows. And it seems that CSIS did exactly what its mandate calls it upon it to do. What would have been going on behind the scenes when the convoy was first heading towards Ottawa and when it arrived? Because there was an awful lot of news coverage. I think people were paying very close attention to what was happening. What would CSIS have been looking for? You know, I have a great analogy here is that if you remember the Falklands were way, way back in the early 80s, Ben, I remember a, a U.S. comic uh, commenting that the Argentinians, after this three-week, uh, you know, U.K. Uh, convoy that sailed all the way down the Atlantic and the Argentinians accused the Brits of a, of a surprise attack. Right. <laughs> there was no surprise to this particular event in downtown Ottawa. They've been traveling across Canada for days, if not weeks. We know it was going to happen. And CSIS would do what CSIS is called upon, and they would basically, you know, do their investigations, run their sources to see if, in fact, any of the members of this freedom self-styled freedom convoy posed a threat to national security or public safety. And I'm guessing probably under sections 2C, which is, you know, basically terrorism, potentially 2D, which is subversion, though I don't think there was any sub in a subversive elements there, the best that I can tell. And they would do their investigations, collect their intelligence and, and say, here's what we know about this convoy. Here's what we know about the actors. And here's the things you should be thinking about. So I would be very surprised if it, you know, CSIS wasn't well on top of, of what could possibly happen. It's a very competent organization, certainly when I was there. And uh, they would have very solid intelligence from their sources that would put them in a position to provide the best intelligence and advice possible to the government of the day. One of the things I found interesting, so we've seen a document now uh, that revealed some of what CSIS was a meeting, actually, that involved uh, the head of CSIS and some of the information that they had as of sort of, you know, February the 9th. Um, one of the things that came up was that they had not seen any what they would call, um, you know, people that they would consider threats participating mm -hmm. uh, or organizing. But they were fear they feared that they might be using the convoy or the whole protest movement as a recruiting zone. Does that uh, does that ring true? I'm sure it did. I mean, anytime you get a large gathering of people, you're going to be looking out for potential candidates to join your movement. And I use the term in a very loose way that maybe feel the same way that you do. Uh, but the bottom line is, is that that's not illegal. What the Freedom Convoy did was not illegal. They basically engaged in a demonstration, which is protected under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. The only way where it turns problematic, Ben, is that if there's a serious threat of violence, and that's in the case where you want your security services and your law enforcement, IDRCMP, Ottawa City Police, maybe the OPP in some ways, it doesn't matter whom, depending on the jurisdiction, to take action before the violence takes place as opposed to after. You, you, you want to stop an act of violence from happening. You want to mop up later. What CSIS was saying is that there's no there there. We're not seeing any credible intelligence that points to the real possibility or hence or even probability that a serious act of violence is going to take place. So what else does the government want from its security services? It wants them to keep their eyes and ears open, to do their investigations, to run their sources, whoever those sources may be, collect the intelligence, assess it for veracity, because lots of intelligence is wrong. Sources lie all the time. And to then and then basically to encapsulate that and a nice put a bow on it. And give it to the government and say, here's what our intelligence is telling us at this time. And it, I, I see no reason to question at this point that CSIS did exactly what it was supposed to do. And in a meeting of this, I should correct myself, this meeting was held on February the 6th. That information would have been disseminated. Is that right? To whatever information CSIS was sharing with the government would also have been, I would think, passed on to local law enforcement and so on, so that they knew what they were dealing with. Uh, absolutely. So 
you know, normally CSIS information is at a minimum at the secret level. It's rarely at the top secret level. It has to be a very sensitive source to be top secret. And there are provisions in place to share information with the um, necessary bodies. It's what we call a need to know. If you have a need to know, you know it. If you don't, you don't. Uh, municipal law enforcement sometimes poses a problem in that not a lot of uh, police officers are not clear to the secret level, at least to the best of my knowledge. But there's no question in my mind that you know information or a version thereof, maybe a um, a stripped out version, would have been made available to Ottawa Police and their partners, because you want your your frontline responders to be as best informed as possible in a situation like that. Look at Ben. When I worked at CSIS, we dealt with law enforcement all the time, we try to sensitize them. In my case, I focus on Islamist terrorism at CSIS to make sure that they had the best information possible, so that if they did encounter it, which was rare in Canada, they knew how to deal with it. So I have uh, no doubts that information would have been shared. Um, it is a tricky game to play because it seizes intelligence is not evidence. It's not collected to an evidentiary standard in Canada, which means that it cannot be used in court and CSIS doesn't want it to be used in court because if it's used in court, then sources get exposed. So it, it's a delicate dance that security intelligence in Canada plays with law enforcement, unlike the, the states where the FBI is both a security service and a law enforcement agency. In Canada, it's a little different, but I, I think the, we play the game to the best of our ability and I think in a situation like this, I'm, I'm confident that the intelligence, the information was shared on a timely basis. Uh, we heard some more about what CSIS thought at the time, at least on February 6th. Uh, what did we learn? This is uh, Director David Vigneault of CSIS. Quote, there is no foreign actors identified at this point supporting or financing this convoy. Uh, and this is important because there were allegations made that, in fact, because the whatever freedom convoy representative, it was a real dog's breakfast. Like, you know, you can't paint this as one series of actors. It was a wide range of actors, generally right of center, but still a, a quite a quite a variety in who was there. Uh, you know, the Americans, and this is of course when we talk foreign money, we're talking American money. That's let's call it what it is. There are concerns that American movements and the American far right movement is, you know, orders of magnitude bigger than the one in Canada, that they in fact may have seen what was happening north of the border, wanted to support it. And that those were the concerns were. And I, I think that maybe the government feared that what would happen in Ottawa might look a little bit like what happened on January the 6th outside of the U.S. Capitol in 2021, where, of course, you had that riot and the occupation of the U.S. Capitol, uh, or, you know, egged on by Donald Trump. And maybe they thought, well, gee, we got to stop this as soon as possible. So let's focus on the foreign funding. But as I said, CSIS, CSIS director said categorically there's nothing to suggest, and, th and we've done our intelligence. There's, we've seen no foreign money coming from other states to support the Freedom Convoy movement. What about, I mean, in terms of the crowdfunding, how would that play into that assessment? I mean, we we know there are different ways which uh, mm -hmm. foreign money can come in to support different causes. And you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, Islamist terrorism earlier. But would that include, in this case, the crowdfunding that we saw as well? It could, but by, by by February the 6th, when David Vigneault did his testimony or basically shared the information with the government, GoFundMe had already frozen the fundraiser set up by the leader, uh, Tamara Litch. She's the one, of course, that was uh, been arrested and charged. Uh, so the funding didn't seem to be there. But I would also caution, Ben, that when we're talking about it, we're not talking millions of dollars here. I mean, it, how, how much money does it take to fund a convoy? I guess you need diesel fuel to keep the trucks going so they can honk their horns maybe a couple of uh, I don't know, McDonald's takeout meals kind of thing. But, you know, we're not talking hundreds of millions of dollars here. Uh, and, you know, and for Bill Blair, uh, 10 days after the the, the, the call with CSIS to say, quote unquote, we have seen strong evidence that it was largely foreign funded. Unless the intelligence changed 180 degrees in 10 days, 
there's something wrong here. Either somebody's lying or somebody is referring to evidence that hasn't been made public just yet. Yeah, I, I guess we won't know until we hear from them, right? And on, on when we hear from them at the inquiry, I'm sure those questions will be asked. Um, but when one looks at the importance of how the, the notion of foreign funding changed the dynamic of how people viewed the the blockade itself. I mean, we knew we had incidents in Coots, which involved weapons, and there were ties to groups mm-hmm. that uh, that I, that I think we we probably could agree are 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 on the on the other side of the law to some extent. But when it came to the whole notion of foreign funding, uh, that was quite a narrative that was being put out there. It was, and and I may be a little bit unfair here, but you know, as Canadians. It's like, hey, look at us. We're, you know, we we got noticed. The, the yeah. American far right's funding the Freedom Convoy. Boy, we we we're in the club now because we because we're important. And maybe it was felt that if it was just a GoFundMe campaign and a bunch of you know people from Saskatchewan, no one saw attended people from Saskatchewan uh, was funding this thing. It doesn't it isn't nearly as important. So the government may have thought, well, if we could demonstrate this is getting international support, this is clearly a a much more important and potentially a much more dangerous matter than it would have been if it just been donations from average Canadians from coast to coast to coast. I mean, I don't know. I'm speculating here, Ben, in terms of yeah. in, in that regard. But it certainly seems to me that the government made a big deal. As a Bill Blair saying there's strong evidence of foreign funding, that seemed to be like a, a like a bridge too far, is that if they could demonstrate that, that would justify the invocation of the Emergencies Act. That would justify the fact that this was a, potentially a serious act of violence in downtown Ottawa, up to and including subversion, i.e. overthrowing the government. And that, this is all just these are fairy tales at this point, based on the information that I have. But it seems it seems to me the government is making an awful big deal about the possibility of foreigners having a role to play in the freedom convoy. And it certainly did effectively conjure up images of January the sixth, as you mentioned earlier. I mean, I, that 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 was there was no doubt about that. I mean, I was sitting all the way out here in Victoria, and it certainly conjured up images of that um, at the time, fairly or not. What will you be looking for now? I mean, we've heard this is a snippet of information from a you know a meeting that was held. On the sixth, we can make some, um, you know, we can judge it for what it is. But what would you like to know to further flesh out what we heard from uh, the information that was uh, that was tabled yesterday and reported on today? Bottom line is, I want to know what information was used by the Trudeau government and cabinet to make the decision to invoke the Emergencies Act when it did. The information we've seen so far, and again, you know, full disclosure, we haven't seen it all. And as I said earlier. There may be intelligence that's far too sensitive to be shared, even in a public inquiry. None of that so far has justified the invocation of this particular act. So what was it that led them to make that decision? Did they um, interdict a possible serious act of violence, i.e. terrorism under Section 83.01 of the Criminal Code? Again, I've seen nothing in the public record to do that. When the the Emergencies Act was invoked, the other information that's been made public seems to to indicate that things were kind of quieting down by that point. There have been agreements between law enforcement and the organizers to maybe disperse or at least you know scale back in a lot of ways. The coups thing had been resolved. The blockade of the Ambassador Bridge in Windsor had been resolved. So what was it about a bunch of trucks in downtown Ottawa that told the Trudeau government, we need the absolute most draconian piece of legislation we need that violates charter rights in Canada to bring this to an end? And I think the government has a duty to Canadians to explain that, because if it doesn't, then what about, what about the next time the Emergencies Act is invoked? I mean, is the government going to feel doesn't have to justify it? And this is, again, I, I go back to, you know, in our history, Ben, the last time this act under the under the old term of the, the War Measures Act was sure. invoked, people had died. There yep. were hundreds of bombs that often done in Montreal. They kidnapped a British trade representative. They had killed Pierre Laporte. 
this was a serious threat to public safety. Trucks with their horns and bouncy castles and people being rude on the National Cenotaph is not a public safety emergency to my mind. And I'm talking as somebody who worked in counterterrorism for 15 years. So I need to see a, a heck of a lot more information that demonstrates to me that the government made the right decision in invoking the act to preclude a serious act of violence. So that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. We're certainly seeing, I mean, we know, we know what the, uh, we know we're hearing through this this inquiry, some of that, but uh, there's lots more still to be learned for sure. Phil Gursky, thank you so much. My pleasure, Ben.